Good morning. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been studying in Genesis chapter 1, where we will continue for some time. So you can turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. Now, as you turn there, not hard to find Genesis 1. But as you turn there, we've seen first that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is, he created time. He created the space necessary to create all of the universe. And then when he speaks of the heavens and the earth, all of the matter in the universe created by God out of nothing by God, Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he began that first day. And that first day, all the laws of physics were put in place. And light was formed and placed in our universe. And we talked so much about that last week. And just one little retraction, I misspoke last week when I said it took four minutes for light to travel from the sun to the earth. I got confused because it's four years for light to travel from Alpha Centauri, the nearest star, to the earth. It's actually eight minutes and 20 seconds for light to travel from the sun. So I hope no one lost their salvation over that. (laughs) I did misspeak, misspoke. Anyway... Today we're going to be looking at the second and the third days of creation. And you can see the order in God's creation as he not only created all of the universe, but now he has, as he has designed it, an opportunity to begin to form the earth out of the existing materials that he created when he created the heavens and the earth. And the first thing he does, and we'll read it, he, he creates an expanse. Now, now think about it this way. You have the space, you have the raw materials, you now have light, you have energy, you have all the laws of physics put in place. And now the creation begins on the second day to form those existing elements into what we begin to see is the earth that we know and live on. It's the beginning of that process. Up until this point, it's sort of setting the stage. The first day, uh, you wouldn't have recognized the universe on the first day because it was only the first day. We get to the second day and we read in verse 6 of Genesis 1. And God said, and notice all of the creative processes begin with, and God said. For the word was in the beginning, the Word was God and is God. And it's all through the speaking of God's power that these things come into being. So he says, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And so it was so. And God called the expanse sky And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So in this second day of creation, the triune God, Elohim, creates an expanse. He speaks Earth's atmosphere into being. He speaks the atmosphere into being. And you see, by separating the waters... God creates. You see, God separates in order to create. There's a a process there that we see throughout the scriptures, throughout all of God's working in mankind. There's a separating, and it's through that separating that he creates. So as we get into the word today, I want you to see that the creative process that God has implemented 
It, it, it starts with darkness. It, it then moves on to light. But then there's a separation. And I, again, this speaks of the creative process. But I, I think you can see in your own life, there was darkness. And then you received the light of the world. And then God began to separate you from everything in this world and this wickedness unto himself to make you holy. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. For you have done a work in our hearts that mirrors the creative process. Having called us out of darkness into glorious light, marvelous light. You now have begun in all of our lives a separation process, a sanctification, if you will, of just of, of us being separated from the things of this world and the way that this world thinks and acts and believes, that we might be separated unto you, for you've called us to come out and be separate. Make us holy, Lord. You've called us to be holy, that is, separate to you in this wicked world. And the darker it gets, may we shine more brightly. And Lord, may we always remember that this creative process is not just a process, but it speaks of so much of the way you have worked and will work in our hearts and lives. And so, Lord, we commit to you this time and pray that you would just speak life into our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It always amazes me how you can see so much in Scripture. You can look at things scientifically, allegorically, scripturally. There's so many lessons to be had. I encourage you to do that. Because God will speak to you individually as well. But back to the expanse. The triune God spoke the earth's atmosphere into existence by separating the waters. We saw last week, Peter told us, that when God created, he created the earth out of water and from the waters. And so we talked a little bit about this last week. How was the sky created? Well, the sky, it's open space in a sense. There is an atmosphere. But the sky was created by separating this what was a spherical form of water into two parts. So he had created the earth, but it wasn't solid. It was, it was just a, a static matrix of water. And in that, all of the elements of the universe had been created by God, the raw materials, the way a sculptor might use the clay, but far more complex. And, and the suspended outer layer of water, vapor, surrounded the sky. So I want to, first of all, say that the way the earth was originally created is not the way we see it today. We'll see that the flood, which was much more catastrophic than anyone can possibly imagine, because it it simply changed the entire atmosphere and really the structure of our ecosystem. Uh, But just understand that that changed everything. But we're talking about the earth as it was created. God said it was good over and over again. In fact, on the Uh, I believe it's the third day, he he said it was good twice. For that reason, many people like to get married on the third day in the Hebrew culture because God said it was good twice. And of course, at the end, it was very good. So God created the earth perfectly, exactly as designed, perfectly, and it was created in a very different way than we observe it today. Again, speaking against this philosophy or, or theory of uniformitarianism where we assume, as Peter says, that things just continue to go on the way that they've always been. The very first thing you have to understand is that's not true, and there was a time where the earth was significantly different by design, and the cataclysm of the flood changed everything. Now, un- unless... You have read the scripture, if you weren't here with us last week, uh, you wouldn't know that Peter pretty much spelled that out. 
when he said this, first of all, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, first of all, you must understand. So this is something you have to understand. You don't adopt this way of thinking, then everything you believe about creation will be wrong. First of all, you must understand, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming, he promised? Never since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You see, there's that uniformitarianism. Everything's just the same as it's always been. But, Peter says, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. He's referring to the Genesis account that we've read already. And by these waters, it goes on to say, also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So, there's two things you have to embrace in creationist thinking. The first is that God created, in seven literal days, the heavens and the earth. He created the universe, and we see that described for us. But the next thing, and we'll get to this eventually, you have to understand, is then it was destroyed. It was flooded. And we'll see that that was so much more than just a localized flood. So the first thing God does, he sets up a suspended outer layer of water vapor surrounding the sky. And the sky surrounded this now significantly reduced spherical form of water. So you have this, this, this form of water surrounded by a vapor layer or a very large suspended vapor layer. Very different than we see the earth today. And then the triune God created the sky that an environment for life might be established. You needed to have an atmosphere. So when we talk about the sky, we're not just talking about open space. We're talking about a breathable atmosphere. All of the light gases, all of the elements necessary to sustain life, they were at this point created out of those elements, and a suspended atmosphere was created in order that life may exist. This had to precede the creation of plant life, animal life, and human life. So the waters below the sky continue to retain these elemental earth minerals and uh, materials. And, and now the creation process continues, but for now these materials were still in some sort of a solution or suspension. And I find it fascinating that God went to such great detail to describe the chemical processes by which he created in a non-scientific way. Well, he didn't have to do that. We, we could have a creation account that just says God created the heavens and the earth, and it could have stopped there. And, and many people look at the creationist way of thinking as a fairy tale, and it basically means that they haven't read Genesis 1 at all, or they read it without realizing that it is a very accurate and, and detailed description of a very extremely complicated, miraculous process. So looking at this, all of these materials, which were now in this solution, if you will, would be utilized on the following day to, to form the land and its plant cover, which we'll see. But the waters above the sky were clearly not the clouds, as some people might imagine, or even the vapor that exists today. Very different. This is apparent by the fact that later on in Genesis, in chapter 2 and also in chapter 9, we see there was no rain. The absence of rain is mentioned, and, and even a rainbow later on. So it wasn't as we imagine it today. Now, now, let me just say this. There are some places on earth, like rainforests, where there's so much moisture, it, it kind of almost rains all the time. But the idea here is this was the ideal environment. God said it was good, amen? 
It was the ideal environment for creation and life to exist. The ideal environment. Now, water vapor is invisible or even translucent. It allows the stars to be seen through it. This isn't a layer that would prevent you from seeing uh, the sky or the stars once they're created. This was a ver- sort of an invisible vapor layer, and it's the way God designed it. These water vapors extended apparently far out into space, but they eventually condensed. And that's what later happened in the flood in Genesis 7. We'll mention it in greater detail in future studies. But these water layers fell back to the earth at the time of the great flood. It wasn't just a river overflowing or springs coming forth from the deep, although those things did happen. We're told in Genesis 7 verse 11 that the springs of the great deep burst forth, but we're also told in that same section that the floodgates of the heavens opened up. And that's where you can begin to see how the earth could have been flooded the way it was. This water vapor layer condensed and literally opened up onto the earth. In addition, the aquifers, the water under the ground, sprung forth. And we're told that specifically in Genesis 7. So no, it's not a fairy tale. There have been mythological and fairy tales uh, stories written by primitive cultures about the flood. But the flood recorded in the Bible is not a fairy tale. It is a reality, and it's referred to by Peter. It also is referred to, obviously, described in Genesis. So there is substantial geological evidence supporting a worldwide flood. Every major culture that we observe uh, that's ancient has some story of some ancient flood, including the Babylonians. And, And why is that? Because it actually happened, and by the time people started to record it, it wasn't recorded in scientific terms like... I think that the Bible alludes to here, it was recorded in a way that it was told as a story. Because from the time of Noah, Noah had three sons. Those three sons had children and generations of peoples who looked back on that cataclysm in such a way that they described it to their children. And so there we have all of these different flood myths and stories written throughout the centuries. So, these waters were elevated above the atmosphere to serve as a thermal blanket. Now, if you, if you know how heat works and the transference of heat, and you know the thermal blanket can keep you warm. It really can. The idea this water layer really can insulate. Water insulates, air insulates as well, but it insulated the earth in such a way that it was a very, very good place to live. Especially if you like Puerto Rico or Hawaii, I think you would have liked this environment quite a bit. It was probably very, very nice. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, but we live in Jersey and the humidity is unbearable. Well, the the first thing I would say is you didn't have to wear a lot of clothes back then. But the second thing I would say is I'm sure it being a good environment, a perfect environment, whatever we imagine about heat and humidity, it, it probably pales in comparison to this environment. I know some of you guys have a perfect temperature, right? You have climate control in your car, right? And you, you struggle for months to find, is it 73? Is it 72? You know, at home, you have your nest, right, set up, right? In, in the winter, you want a perfect temperature. Now we have all the technology to do that, right? To find that temperature that's perfect. And then you get married. And unless you're extremely lucky and blessed, the person that you marry has a different perfect temperature, Right? This happens in churches all the time. Some of you came in with a sweater today. Some of you are wearing shorts. 
There is no perfect temperature. But I do believe that in the beginning, God said it was very good. There was a temperature which was just perfect for life to exist. So, this atmosphere, this thermal blanket, it also would shield the earth against harmful radiations from space. Neutrinos, other particles that actually bombard our bodies constantly, which, by the way, is why you're getting older. They're looking for the fountain of youth. They're trying to figure out, how do we reverse the aging process? How do we reverse it? And so there's all of these approaches in science right now, because what they want to do is get people to sort of live forever. And trying to reverse the aging process, probably not going to work. But in either case, there was not a problem with aging because of this shield around the earth that prevented harmful radiations from bombarding our body. These radiations are what cause our bodies to break down over time. It's actually not something you can prevent. And this explains the extended lifespan of our early ancestors. Early human beings, we're told Adam lived almost a thousand years. For, for a long time, people were living nearly a thousand years. Why was that? This was probably the reason. Part of it, maybe not all of it, but certainly a factor. Not to mention genetic purity. You ever make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy? By the time you get to the seventh iteration, you almost can't read that piece of paper. Our, our genes, our DNA being copied over and over again, it degrades the quality and the purity of our DNA, which is why it's important not to intermarry too close, right? So there are, there are a lot of factors we see even in our world today, but over time, over thousands of years, we're copies and copies of copies. So nowadays, we see a lot of different aberrations genetically. People are trying to figure out what's causing this or autism or what's causing different cancers. And some of it's environmental. Clearly, we've talked about that already. It was the perfect environment. But some of it's genetic. We're, we're just a fallen race. And this is why we need a Savior to come in soon. Amen? Because as, as humanity continues to become more corrupt morally, but it also becomes more corrupt physically. So you see, our only hope really is in Christ. If we were as a species, let's say, to exist another 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 10,000 years, I don't know what condition we would be in. I can only imagine. But I do know this. It's probably not going to happen because the Lord is coming again. Amen? So I'm giving you some scientific observations based on the creative process. That's all I'm trying to do here today. Uh, these radiations affect us today, and they wouldn't have affected them to the same degree. And this would also spread, this thermal blanket would also spread incoming solar heat. By the way, the sun hasn't been created yet, but when it was, it was created before uh, mankind. But that solar heat would be spread out over the planet through this thermal blanket like radiating heat. A lot of people today, they like to have uh, radiators in their homes or gradient heating, some type of heating where, where it's more evenly distributed over their home as opposed to having a vent or like even one of these air conditioning units where if you stand in front of it, you're freezing, but then if you're in another part of the building, you're sweating. So that sort of radiant heating is a much more efficient and effective way to heat your home. Well, it's also the way that God chose to heat the earth through radiant heating. Uh, this would have been the climate of the antediluvian world, pre-flood world, like a giant rainforest. We can only imagine what it must have been like, other than the biblical description. 
This supported an abundance of animal and plant life, as we'll see, and I think clearly explains why lizards were so large and where the dinosaurs got their ability to grow to the size that they ultimately became in an ideal environment. Even lizards and reptiles today will grow to a significant size. Generally, they're limited by their environment, uh, what they can eat, where they live. Uh, you know, an alligator or a crocodile will continue to grow, but there's usually a point at which they're too big and they get caught. I just saw something recently on that where they found a rather large uh, alligator or crocodile, and you know, they will continue to grow. Well, imagine a perfect environment with these dinosaurs that have obviously long since gone extinct. Can you imagine, though, these dinosaurs, just all the food they could possibly eat in an ideal environment? So was it a comet that killed the dinosaurs? I don't think so. I think it was probably the flood, and whatever dinosaurs had not already gone extinct probably have just either become a lot smaller or died out over time. They were designed for an environment that doesn't exist on this planet, but in a few places anymore, and probably not even there. So now, one of those questions I always get, especially from kids, is did God create the dinosaurs? And of course he did. And when did they live? And, and what happened to them? And you, you, can, you can surmise some of what might have happened. Again, these are, just, these are just observations based on the creation. Creation's fact, how it works out, well, we don't know exactly, but these are logical and scientific explanations of what may have happened. So yes, something we could talk about more as we get closer to the study on the flood. So I say this because... The world was very different. So to assume it's always been the same, uniformitarianism is a major mistake in scientific observation. First of all, it's not scientific observation. It's scientific assumption. And it's not based on observation or fact. It's based on a theory. And that theory is wrong. Okay? Can I hear amen? And I love when people say, how can you believe that fairy tale? What? I think a couple of studies in Genesis, and you'll probably realize this, this ain't no fairy tale. At least that much I can show you. Well, then we see that God said in verses 9 and 10, after he created the expanse, back in our text in Genesis 1, he says, and God said, let the water under the sky. So we've talked about the water expanse above the atmosphere. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so, and God called the dry ground land, and gathered waters, the gathered waters, he called seas, and God saw that it was, can you say it with me? Good. Okay, it was good. Now, that means that everything in the universe at this point was perfect, just the way God had created it. And it's going to stay that way right up into the seventh day till we get to the account of sin entering the world. But for now, God created the expanse, the atmosphere. Now he creates the land and the sea. And again, not out of nothing. He created the elements out of nothing. But now out of something he forms the, by speaking. He says, let there be land and sea. Now, the, the triune God spoke the dry ground into existence. How did he do it? By gathering the elemental materials. Now what you're thinking, that sounds ridiculous. Well, it's kind of interesting because if you look at chemistry and science today, through chemical reactions, you can change the observable properties of matter. Uh, you think, I mean, you change temperature, you can get solids or gases. 
I mean, it's not that hard to imagine because we as human beings can make changes to the environment and affect those elements, obviously. But God doesn't need to interact with test tubes, Bunsen burners, flasks and beakers. He doesn't need to do any of that in a lab coat. He just speaks it. For he's God. He's greater than his creation. But isn't it interesting that the description of what he spoke into being is very similar to some of the chemical processes we observe today. That's the only point I'm trying to make. So he, the miracle is in creating the substance out of nothing. And of course, it's miraculous that he, he has the power to do these things. But the processes seem to still be governed by the very laws of science that he created, such as the laws of physics, like gravity, chemistry, these different sciences that we observe, earth science. I point that out because you don't have to throw science out the window to embrace intelligent design and creationism specifically. So, looking at the land, the land was created by separating, as I mentioned in our opening, separating. God has a work that's, that, that brings light into darkness, but also a work that involves separating. You'll notice that almost always happens in the work of God. The land was created by separating the elemental earth minerals from the waters below. There was simply no soil or heavy elements on the earth until God commanded it. But he did, and then there was. And the triune God created the land and the seas. Why? That an environment for life might be established. There is a purpose to design. Now, some people are very creative. And, and some people just create for the sake of creating. Like, you might get a canvas and begin to paint just to express yourself. Or write music just to express your feelings or make an observation. Art has value just for the sake of being art, yes. But I guarantee that if you were going to create something functional, a vehicle, a home, if you were to go out in your yard and build a shed... You would gather all of these materials, right? And you begin to build that, but it would be with a function, right? Like, let's say you were building a shed specifically to keep your snowblower and your lawnmower in, right? Well, what would you do? You would measure that shed to make sure you could fit both of them, unless you didn't. And then how do you explain to your wife, um, yeah, I didn't measure the shed. That would be a bad day, Right? Things like that sometimes happen when we don't think things all the way through. There's a function in design. Now, sometimes it's artistic design. The function is art. But sometimes there's a function in design. And in this case, I want you to know God's creative process was beautiful, artistic, but it was functional. The reason behind God's creative process here has everything to do with the fact that he is creating an environment for life to thrive, for life to exist. That's the point. Please understand that. It's not random design. It's intelligent design. It's functional design. Yes, it's artistic design, but primarily it's functional. So all of this we see in this description. Life needed to exist. The land was created to support life for plants and animals living on the dry ground. The seas were created as well. They were created to support life for those plants and animals living in the waters. Fresh water, salt water. Great basins opened up to receive and store waters. Some were trapped and stored in the great deep, we're told, in Genesis 7. Some accumulated 
in surface basins, those would be the lakes and the seas of that time, which were greatly changed through the flood. But they evidently interconnected through a network of subterranean channels because when the flood comes, they just burst forth. And then we get mountains and canyons and all of the things we observe in our uh, post-deluge world. If you look at the world before the flood, which which you can't, we don't have any pictures of it, uh, and you look at the world today, very different, very different environments. Well, the land and the seas are good things because they're functionally necessary for the existence of life. In fact, they're essential for life. So God is just not creating willy-nilly. There is a purpose, an intelligent design, a purpose in the process, and even the order of the process. And God is working in your life as well. You see, the the process that God is working in and through your life is functional. Yes, he's bringing glory to himself. But there's things that God is doing in your life, hard things, difficult things, challenging things. But there's a function, there's a purpose in what God is doing in and through your life. The way there was a purpose in creation. I want you to know that God is working on your behalf And he who began that good work will be faithful to complete it until the Lord returns. Amen? Amen. Wonderful little applications that are maybe not so scientific, but just as important. Okay, then we read in verse 11. After having talked about the second day, and now we get into verse 11. We're into the third day as well here, starting in verse 9. But now we're in verse 11. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. And the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds, And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So we get to the third day. We've gone through the second and third day in two days, literal days, rotations of the earth, if you will, or the earth substances at this point, because the earth isn't even fully formed. On the third day now, we're talking not just about the expanse and the waters. We're talking about life, the beginning of all life. Now, what's interesting is those that promote a different approach to creation or even a different theory will try to tell us that single-celled organisms evolved into a lot of these different things. They will try to tell us that animals preceded plants. And yet, think about it just for a minute. Just for a minute. If in the creative process over what they try to say is gazillions of years, I'll put it that way, if, if there weren't plants, what did animals live on? It, the whole theory breaks down because, so you're telling me that the plants would have had to evolve at a certain rate so that these organisms that evolved from single-celled organisms had something to eat. It, it becomes even more complicated than what God described here in Genesis 1 to try to suggest the theories that uh, science promotes today. It's a lot easier to embrace this approach because it makes perfect sense. That's my point, speaking from a purpose uh, or a point of intelligent design. But he said, let there be plants and trees. He said, let there be an expanse, let there be the land and the sea, and let there be plants and trees. That makes sense, right? 
I mean, if you were going to plant a garden, the first thing you'd need to do is set up perhaps some type of irrigation system, right? And then, of course, you would uh, have to separate maybe the, the koi pond from, from the area, the beds and the mulch and all that you're putting in it. And, and then you would begin to plant, right? And then you're still going to have weeds because it's a fallen world. But the point I'm trying to make is that there's an orderly design to putting a garden in. And there's an orderly design to God's creation. And it, it makes such sense. Any other theory just simply is random thinking that it might have happened this way over periods of time that are unthinkable. When there's no observable evolution at all within our lifetime or within the lifetime of recorded science. It's just nothing, nothing that proves it. Nothing that even suggests it's true. So, the triune God spoke the vegetation into existence, and he did it by producing it out of the dry ground. So the earth was landscaped. I want you to think about this phase of creation on this day as being landscaped. Have you ever seen a very good landscape designer? They do that exact thing. They landscape something. It's done in a specific order with the purpose being that life will exist and thrive. And if you try to do that in our neighborhood, it's a fallen world. And the deer come in and they eat every last flower and plant you spent hundreds of dollars on. But it wasn't like that back then. The deer hadn't been created yet. And even when they were, it was still a good world. The world we're living in now, not so much. So many of you struggle with that, but still you have to design. You have to design for the environment. I've been to Tucson a number of times, and their gardens there are filled with succulents and cactuses because, you know, or cacti, because guess what? That's the environment that's ideal for that type of planting. So God creates an environment perfect for planting, and then he plants. So if there's anyone here who's a gardener or a farmer or someone that appreciates that aspect of our world— uh, this is happening in such a way where you can appreciate God's design. The earth was landscaped, and it was landscaped with varieties of plants and trees that could self-propagate. Not like those annuals you buy at Home Depot where you plant and you spend all that money and then the, what the deer don't eat, they just die and then you got to go buy them again next year. No, this was uh, a perennial garden, right? That's what we call it. The idea, this was going to self-propagate. Why wouldn't God do a work like that? He does a work and then the work continues to work and, and what he puts in motion continues to thrive and, and really just set up for self-maintenance. And that's really the way God created it. So the other, upper portion of the earth's crust was apparently very rich in soil, fertile and chemical nutrients, the way God designed it. And the soil retained adequate moisture to sustain the lush vegetation. And then, and I want you to hold on to this, this from, from here on in, he took fully mature plants and trees, and then he planted them in the rich soil. You, you have to understand that's the only way this would have worked. Fully mature plants. We're told that he created the plants and then planted. So, so the, the, the chicken and the egg, right? We're always, oh, which came first, the chicken and the egg? The chicken. We still ask that question, and yet we have the answer. God always has a principle of what we call mature creation or creation of apparent age. When he created Adam and then later Eve, were they little babies in the Garden of Eden? 
No. People like to ask me the question, will they have a belly button? I don't know. I don't care. (laughs) But God creates maturely. The word mature can also be translated perfectly. So when he creates man, he creates him perfect, grown. Not a child who can't care for himself. And when he creates plants and all of the creation of life, it's this idea, this principle, we'll come back to it again, mature creation or what's called creation of apparent age. That principle is consistent. It's consistent throughout the creative process. So hold on to that because you're going to see that proven over and over again. There was simply no plant life on the earth until God commanded it. And contrary to evolutionary theory, plant life preceded animal life. There need not be any debate about that. In fact, there are over 20 contradictions between biblical creation and paleontology. So don't put your money on paleontology. God's word can always be trusted. Amen? So the triune God said, let there be plants and trees. And just like you or I, if we were to go to a garden center and and, and you didn't want to wait like five to ten years to have a garden... Uh, You might plant some seed, which again is the result of God's creative process because he said that these plants and vegetables would self-propagate. You would probably go and buy mature plants, maybe not a tree that's 40 foot tall, but a tree that's matured enough to grow and and maybe even produce seed. Clearly he had to or did create uh, a plant life that produced seed. Otherwise, what would have happened, you know? And then he tells us he did. So just like you and I would go, we'd get these somewhat mature plants and plant them. It makes, to me, when I look at the creation, it just makes so much sense. Nothing about evolution makes any sense to me. Nothing. But this makes perfect sense. And why wouldn't it? It's the word of God. Amen? So I'm going a long way to give you the information, but also to make it clear. You do not have an unintelligent faith. You don't have a blind faith. You have a faith in fact. You have a faith in things that are perceivable, provable to some degree. Oh, you're never going to prove that God exists because we're told that you must believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's, that's the faith part. But as I've shared with you before, the postulate in geometry brings the theorem, brings the bridge. The engineering, is, it proves that the theorem was correct. It proves that the postulate, which you can't prove, was correct. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Say amen. Faith is intelligent in Christianity. Don't let anyone tell you any differently. So the triune God created the plants and the trees. Why? Functionally, that life may be established on the earth. Now, I like plants. Don't get me wrong. And I think... It's pretty clear we need them and we shouldn't abuse them because for our ecosystem and for the health of our planet, we need things like rainforests. We need vegetation to survive. And I think we forget that sometimes. But life, plant life, was only really created because ultimately the goal was human life, animal life, human life. This is subservient to the ultimate creation in God's image. So when we put plants and the plant life or even animal life above the well-being of human life, I think at that point we've crossed a very dangerous red line. We have people in our world today who are evil and wicked 
who would like to destroy animal life and human life to save plant life. And they're forgetting one basic fundamental truth. Those things exist because we are made in the image of God. So to enforce population control or to release viruses to try to bring down the herd or to approach things under the guise of climate control or climate change in order to reduce the human population so a few can have more is wicked and evil. Is our climate changing? Clearly, it always changes. It's always changed. I've read a very interesting statistic. People, every time you get a heat wave or a cold snap, it's climate change. Of course it is, because climate change. But then they turn it into this existential threat where we're not going to make it through the next decade. And that's ridiculous. In 1930, I looked at the stats. In 1930, the heat wave of that time period was far greater than what we're experiencing today, this summer. Because everybody, you know, on that, that woke side of thinking, oh, see, see, it's hot, you see? This is why we need to kill babies in the womb. This is why we need to release dangerous viruses with gain-of-function research. This is why we need to reduce the population, because climate change. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it would be really absurd if it wasn't laced with some truth. And yet in 1930, that was a long time ago. Say amen. Was that a long time ago? I don't know if we have anybody here who was around in 1930. I'm not going to ask. That summer was, look at the stats. There was a heat wave that eclipses the heat wave that we're going through now. Okay. What does that mean? The climate changes. Yes, it does. Thank you very much. I knew that. Well, why do I have to give all my money and destroy the population of the earth and not eat beef? You see, you see, I don't want to get all conspiracy theory on you, but the world is evil. That's the point. But God created it good. He said it was good. And plants and plant life and our environment is subservient to the existence of mankind. I'd rather trust God with our population problem then hand over the control of the earth to globalists who want to destroy mankind. Well, let's move on. The seed which God designed, he designed seed. It's amazing. He designed it, and it guarantees the reproduction of each plant. Could you design a seed? I couldn't. I don't think anyone can. In fact, the great ingenuity of each seed's ability to reproduce is astounding. It's not unlike a computer program. It's, the, it's, it's much greater than AI. The quote-unquote artificial intelligence is out there. This is actually like God's intelligence designed into a bioform. This is a seed. We're just talking about a seed. Ever get a poppy seed stuck in your teeth from a bagel? That can ruin your day or maybe a date. But a seed. You look at that, you don't think anything. And you couldn't create that. It's amazing what a seed can do. I mean, we're just getting started. There are spinning seeds, floating seeds, clinging seeds, edible seeds, all types of seeds. And each seed, we're told, was created or, or, or designed according to its kind. Now, that's a phrase that's repeated more than nine times in Genesis 1, according to its kind. By the way, according to its kind means evolution from kind to kind doesn't exist. It can't happen. See, it was programmed. See, I'm a programmer, so I like this. It was programmed for the stable reproduction through its genetic code, which, when observed, 
is an intelligent programming language. When you look at DNA, you, you can't, it's the same language in a frog that's in a human being, and yet they're very different. Would you agree? Well, maybe not everyone, but there are some slimy people out there. But do you understand? You have a language. You code in a language. You, you follow rules. It's an intelligent. You have to design the language in order to bring about the, the program. So you have a language, and it's the same language that's coded into all of these creative beings or created beings. How can you not see intelligent design if you're using a created language, a creative language, to make things according to God's design? His, they're kind. That's the point. So yes, intelligent design is undeniable. That much is true. We, we, we may not have known all that we know today about DNA and the, the coding of proteins, but we know it today. And it's funny how they don't talk about things like that. It's funny how those things get, ah, uh, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. It's an inconvenient truth. We don't really want to know about that. Okay. All of this information is stored in the complex DNA molecule. And God tells us right here, he created it that way. The system, it allows for a wide horizontal variation within a kind. For example, the DNA in a Yorkie and in a Mastiff or a Doberman is essentially the same. They do not look like the same animal to me. And yet they're canines. Same is true in cats. Same is true in every species. It, it's, it's, it's sort of locked into the species, but God designed it with a wide horizontal variation. That's why when you look around today, I see a lot of different shades of skin, different heights, different eyes, different noses. We, I mean, there's, there's no one here in, in this small subset that looks the same, except for Russ and John Morgan, maybe. So, <laughs> so, so when, you, when you look at the variation, God obviously calculated that, and that was, that was programmed into the real intelligence, not the artificial intelligence. It, it's amazing. I'm, I'm astounded. My faith increases when I study these things. It never produces a vertical evolution from one kind to another. You never see a, a, a cat giving birth and all of a sudden a rhinoceros comes out. It doesn't happen. Although, I remember we had a cat had four kittens. And each one looked a little different. One had stripes, one was calico. How does that happen? God designed it for variation. Variation, mutation, those types of things do exist. Evolution does not. And they will point to those things to promote evolution. They're not the same thing. It's still according to its kind. The day I see a chicken give birth to an elephant, I'll believe it. Or, I was going to say something political, I'm not going to. It involved donkeys and elephants. That's as far as I can go. The modern equivalent of kind is, a, is probably broader than our species. But we see it, we observe it, and it's, and it's consistent with God's description. Look, plants and trees are good things. Why? Functionally, they're essential for life. So... Why all of this emphasis on the scientific truths that we observe in nature? Because the day someone says to you, oh, you're a Christian. You believe that 
There was a flood with, you know, there wasn't even enough room for the giraffe. They had to stick his neck out of the top of the roof. You see those pictures in nurseries sometimes. Oh, you believe in creation. <laughs> Just lovingly, maybe, share with them a few of the things that we talked about today or over the last couple of weeks. See what they do with that. Because this is not unintelligent. This is extremely intelligent. And it's not a workable theory. It's, it's the truth of God's word. And of course it makes sense. Why would God give us a fairy tale and then say, believe this? He gave us the truth. And here's the most important thing, and I close with this. If you don't believe what he told you about the way he created the earth, specifically functional for life to exist, why would you believe anything else? Why would you believe that he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for your sins? Why would you believe that he rose again or that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead? Why would you believe anything God has to say in his word if you don't believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? So don't listen to those pastors and Christians who would say, it's okay, you don't have to believe Genesis 1 through 11. It's more important that you just understand John 3.16. The truth is, if you deny Genesis 1 through 11, why would you even bother believing Genesis, or excuse me, John 3.16? See, what the devil has done, he's been undermining the foundation of our faith in Genesis. And by the way, if you're interested in more information, I'm sure you're familiar with Ken Ann's organization, Answers in Genesis. You can go online and find many resources that will go into this stuff far more deeply than I had time to today. The point is simply this. You and I need to understand that if God said in his word that he created in this way, don't dispute it. Because if you do, then you've got more problems than you realize. If you deny the flood, if you deny creation, if you deny the things that God told us in Genesis 1 through 11, then how do you reconcile? the truth of the gospel that is life to all who put their faith in it. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Our faith is increased when we trust in your word. We understand, we know, we know that you've given us your word. Faith comes by hearing the word and our faith has been increased. There are many things today that most of us will forget. But what's important is that we remember that you created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. And even that's a principle to us. Those of us who are working seven days a week are violating that principle. There's so much here, not just about how you created, but why you created and how we are to live. Help us to see all these lessons as we go through the scriptures. Help our faith to be increased. And may we be given privileged and blessed opportunities in love to share the truth of creation with others that they might recognize it's the creation that leads to the recreation. Being born again. By putting our faith in Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross for our sins. And rose again on the third day. And is coming again to judge the living and the dead. As we put our faith in him, we're saved from death. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God in Jesus Christ is eternal life. All of the facts, all of the science, all of the information is helpful to the extent that it points us to that truth. 
May we always remember that. May we preach it. May we live it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.